You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 to chapter 13, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, Why, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, go ahead and take your seats. Thank you, Ben. That was really great. Ezra, why don't you make your way up here? Um, yeah, if I didn't get a chance to introduce myself on the front end, my name's Josh, the pastor here. I'm very excited this morning to have Ezra Koti from Northview, um, which is one of our sending churches. If you don't know, we're about a year and a half year old church plant. Um, sent out a Westside Church in Vancouver, Northview Church in Abbotsford, both great churches. Um, that we're honored to be partnered with. Ezra's a pastor at Northview and um, was gracious enough to give me the week off, so I'm thankful. Um, can I pray for you, brother, and then sure. let you loose? Yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful for Ezra's heart for your word, his love of it, um, the, the time he spent digging into it this week, and we pray, Holy Spirit, as he opens it, you would come and ignite the words of Christ. That's your job. Make much of the Son and Father, would you be glorified through the gifts that you've put in this man um, for the benefit of this body this morning. Just pray that your spirit would empower him and bless him and that um, your word would come alive in our hearts and minds this morning. We pray in the great name of Christ. Amen. Thanks, Ezra. Thank you. Well, good morning. Oops. And I begin dropping stuff. All right. I have to set a timer for myself. Otherwise, I am a talker, so... A timer is always good. My name is Ezra, if you've never met me. Um, it's such a joy to be here with you again this morning. I was here a number of weeks ago talking, speaking about Noah. It was a fun time to meet with you guys and to fellowship together. This morning, my assignment is Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 to 13, verse 1. A very interesting um, story here about uh, Abraham and him going to Egypt and the things that happened there. So if you have a Bible, you will want to go there, Genesis 12, uh, verse 10 to 13. Now, let me start by asking you to do something for me. I want you to imagine. Imagine a cartoon image. Okay, so this is just a cartoon caricature of an eagle, so the best eagle you can imagine, okay? And I want you to imagine a beaver best beaver you can imagine. And I want you to imagine a log. And I'm going, this is just cartoon images. And imagine a log. So you have the eagle, the beaver, the log. So the beaver and the, and the, um, the eagle are standing on the log. And they are arm wrestling. Okay? Beaver, eagle, on a log, arm wrestling. So now let's say you have this cartoon image and you take it, let's say, to China. And you ask people in China, could you tell me what this means? They might guess, you know, eagle, 
okay, and this is a beaver, and okay, so what are they doing? Are they shaking hands? Like, what are they doing? You take it to Kenya, where I come from, and you show it to the Kenyan people. Tell me what this means. Or you bring it to Kelowna, to Praxis Church, and to show it to the people in Praxis, and I ask you all, what does that picture mean? Interpret this image for me. Many of you are scratching your heads wondering, what in the world is he talking about? But if I take this picture, if I take this image, and I take it to Powell River, and I show it to the people in Powell River, instantly they will know what's going on. Why? Because they will know the beaver is Canada, the eagle is United States, the log is softwood lumber, and there's a tussle between the two nations. <laughs> My point being, if you're not in the moment, if you're not living the reality, if you don't know what is going on behind the scenes, you will not be able to interpret the image. You will not know what is going on here. Right? The same thing with the Bible. If you don't know what is happening behind the scenes, if you don't see the big picture, if you don't understand what is going on, you will be looking at the image and you'll be interpreting it in your own way. And you're wondering, what in the world? And you come up with your own interpretations. But the moment you understand what is going on behind the scenes, then all of a sudden the light bulb turns on. And you recognize, as with my image illustration, that yeah, the US and Canada tussled. And people, particularly in Powell River, many lost jobs. There were many bankruptcies. And this was real for them. And so this image made sense to them. Didn't make sense to people in Kenya. Wouldn't make sense to people in China either. So why am I bringing up this, uh, this illustration? The reason for the illustration is this. When we read the book of Genesis, there is a lot going on there, even in our story here that has just been well read by Jane here. Even in our story here, there's a ton going on, but it's very easy for us to come so close and pay attention here. But how about we step back a bit and see what is going on behind the scenes in order to understand what exactly is going on in this story. Here, obviously, we are seeing Abraham behaving poorly. And we will unpack this text. Abraham is behaving poorly. But the big question here is, how does God respond to the poor behavior? How is God responding? Because sometimes we get stuck and we look at Abraham. And sometimes we get stuck with our own doubt and our own issues. We are so stuck with, oh dear, now I messed up. I screwed up. This is not going well. Like there's no way God can solve this issue. There's no way God will remove me from this jam. I made a big error. Or this thing has gone so far out of control, there's no way. And you're there hopeless and helpless. Where is God, you may ask? Yeah, because you're so close to the image. Step back. And recognize who you're talking about. This is God. Who said, let there be light. And there he spoke the world into existence. Spoke it. Let there be the sun and there it was. The moon and there it was. The stars and there they were. The galaxy is so big. There's so much about life that we don't know out there. Forget out there. In the planet earth, there are places where no human being has ever been. Who created it? God did. He knows the biggest big and the smallest small. This is the God we're talking about. So when we say, oh, the situation is so messy, do you know who you're talking about? This is the point of this story. Genesis was written to the nation of Israel. And they were... They were now wandering in the wilderness after they had left Egypt. And so Moses is writing the book of Genesis, reminding or introducing Yahweh, the God of Israel, to this people who had just been redeemed from, from, from Egypt, from slavery. They did not know who God was. Therefore, this is God 101 for the nation of Israel. This is who God is. So let's unpack the story quickly, and then I have three points. Now, these three points are essentially one point. 
One point said three different ways, and when we'll get there, you will see what I mean. So, just a little bit of a recap here. So, God makes a covenant with Abraham. This is now chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 1, all the way to 9. God has made a covenant. God just shows up to, to Abraham. We don't know why. Why did he choose Abraham? We don't know why. Yeah, the Lord came to Abraham. And he makes a covenant with Abraham, telling him, hey, leave your home and your household and go to the promised land. And then Abraham does so. He leaves his home. He goes to this promised land. And then God shows up again and affirms, this is the land. Once Abraham has arrived, this is the land. So Abraham heard from God clearly. So we can't say, I think God, God, God led me here. I'm not sure. I was so sure that he led me here, but I'm not sure. There was no, I'm not sure. He knew why God spoke to him is what the text says. God was very clear. And so Abraham then builds uh, an altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. This is praise. That is chapter 12, verse 1 to 9. Praising God for his goodness and his grace. There's this rejoicing that happens. And then things take a very interesting turn. You know, life happens when you're busy making other plans. Maybe Abraham was right there now beginning to imagine, okay, this is going to be all my land, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is a plan, he's strategizing and everything, and while he's still strategizing on what's going on, something happens. What happens? There's a famine, but this famine is not just any famine, it's severe. It's a severe famine that happens. Question, didn't God know that there would be a famine? Like, Lord, why are you telling me to leave my home where I'm comfortable with my businesses and my family and my community and things I'm familiar with, and you're sending me into this strange land, and now you've told me this land is mine. I built an altar to worship you, and now there is a famine, a severe one. The famine is so bad that Abraham looks at his wife, honey, we got to get out of here. we got to go to Egypt. We can't stay here now, notice. Abraham does not consult God. At least the text doesn't say. But he asked God, Lord, should I, should I go to Egypt? Like, Lord, you're the one who brought me here. So what ought I do? No, he just looks at Sarah, Han, we, we got to go. We got to go to Egypt. There's no water here. Our flocks will die. We will die. So they decide to sojourn to Egypt. But as they're approaching Egypt... Um, as they are coming closer, he's kind of like, okay, Han, uh, before we enter Egypt, there's a situation. You, know, you are so beautiful. You are just hot. And she was in her 70s, by the way, but that is beside the point. You're beautiful. And when we get to Egypt, the Egyptians will see you. They will see you're beautiful. And they will kill me for you. So there is a legitimate concern here because assuming the text doesn't tell us why Abraham now begins to create this ruse. The scriptures don't tell us, but we can assume that there is a legit concern that he has because right now he's an immigrant. He's leaving his home and going to a strange place to seek shelter and food and water. So there's a legit concern, but but his wife is beautiful. Now you may think, oh, this is just a husband doting on his wife. Ah, when he gets to Egypt, the Egyptians see her and they're like, wow. My goodness. And then Pharaoh's princes here, they come, they see, and they're like, oh, my word. And they go tell Pharaoh, dad, wow. And Pharaoh is like, really? And so what, what does Pharaoh decide to do? Yes, Pharaoh now takes Sarai and brings her into his harem to be one of his wives. Now again, remember, they were entering Egypt. Abraham saw Sarah. Honey, you're beautiful. They might kill me. Therefore, why don't you do this? When we get there and they ask, um, like our relationship, like, yeah, yeah, please tell them you're my sister. So that... Two things, it may go well with me and that I may be saved, that I may live because these people will kill me. So there are two things. He's concerned about his welfare and he's concerned about his safety. So legit concerns here. 
And of course, Sarah decides, you know what, okay, I'll play along because of course I love you, honey. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, particularly if they're going to kill you. Okay, fine, I'll go along. I'm your sister. It's kind of half true, but not really. Okay, so what happens? This ruse backfires. It backfires. Because maybe he's assuming that, yeah, if we are brother and sister, uh, they'll leave us alone. I'll be okay, and I'll, things will go well with me. We'll find somewhere to live. We'll, we'll kind of like endure, survive this, this famine, and maybe we might go back to the promised land. But at least we'll be safe here. Huh. Pharaoh had other plans. Sarah is now taken into Pharaoh's harem. There is no asking. Pharaoh took her. Oh dear. And then he gives Abraham all these flocks. And Abraham kind of, <laughs> another flock that takes them. Because he can't say she's my wife because if he says, she's, they might kill me, he thinks. Now we're in a bind. Now we're in a situation, Abraham. You came here. You wanted to be safe. You thought it would be all okay. Uh, uh, yeah, now Sarah is Pharaoh's wife. What happens when the famine is over? Do you leave her in Egypt? Do you go back to the promised land now without her? So uh, how will this ancestry happen, maybe you'll get another wife, maybe, or whatever. Like, I don't know. Am I going to leave Sarah behind? It's not going to be easy for her to kind of sneak her way out of Pharaoh's harem. Everybody knows that she is the queen of queens. She is the most beautiful thing ever. Everybody knows. So how is she going to hide? Where is she going to hide? Oh, dear. <laughs> we are in a bind. Now, so let's step back from close. Abraham, oh, the doubt is significant. It's big. But let's step back a bit. You see, chapter 12 will set the tone for the next 10 chapters of this book. What do I mean by that? There is this advancement of covenantal promises. See, God made a covenant with Abraham. And God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a great nation. But then now we see this covenant coming into jeopardy. How is this going to happen? And Sarah is, is now Pharaoh's wife. How is this going to play out? Abraham made decisions. And then there is this famine. And there is all this chaos. Again, as you see the story unfold in Genesis, you begin to see how there's this advancement of covenantal promises. And then this jeopardy that comes at the same time. And these two intertwine. The covenant is moving forward. And then the circumstances that jeopardize the advancement of this covenant. And they make you wonder, will this go forward? Will it go forward? Will it go forward? And every time, God will demonstrate again and again his his ability to overcome obstacles and resolve jeopardy as he fulfills his promises and provides what is necessary for the covenant to move forward constantly. This should be great news for us because you know how many times you and I mess up? We make wrong decisions. We do stupid things. Or circumstances come our way that are out of our control. Cancer came. Oh, dear. Mom and dad are divorcing. Oh, my. Your child becomes wayward. You discover they're doing drugs. What? And you wonder, oh dear, circumstances outside of your own control. And you wonder, how will God's plan work here? Point being, God will demonstrate again and again his ability to overcome obstacles and to resolve all the jeopardizing situations as he fulfills his promises and provides what is necessary to make sure his covenant with you moves forward. Always. Always. This is God. This is not just a small God. This is God we're talking about. The one who said, let there be and there was. God demonstrates the big picture. God demonstrates how he overcomes obstacles that seem to readily dismantle the covenant piece by piece. 
You think, oh, this situation, this circumstance, my doubt, my concern. Yeah, it is dismantling. Sometimes we sit there and we are doubting, will this work? Well, is, is God going to do this? Is he, is he really going to move forward? Yeah, and we think his plan is being dismantled. Is it? It is not. It is not. Why? Because the story ends here. God responds. How does he respond to Abraham's ruse that has just gone wrong? Pharaoh has given him all these cows. People were asking, oh, is this your wife? No, this is my sister. Pharaoh takes her. And now he is in a bind. He has accepted money from Pharaoh. And yeah, how will this go? It is a messy situation. God responds and he afflicts Pharaoh's house with great plagues. The scriptures are not clear about what these plagues are. We don't know. Sarah, his wife, now is a member of Pharaoh's household. She's there and therefore it kind of... Oh dear, how will it go? But as God has inflicted this great plague, somehow Pharaoh puts one and one together. Somehow Pharaoh now finds out that Sarai is Abraham's wife. Somehow, if we don't know, so we can fill in the blanks, we can imagine. But somehow he finds out, comes and then he rebukes Abraham. Why did you say? Why did you say? That she's your sister, dude. I took her for my wife, man. Now, why does Pharaoh do this? Pharaoh does this because in the ancient times, they believed. When you upset the gods, then bad things happen to you. So as bad things are happening to you, when disaster is happening, let's figure out what happened. What has angered the gods? What has angered the gods? Let's make this right. So Pharaoh is very upset because... The gods, according to him, the gods are not happy with me. And then somehow maybe he's finding out and maybe Sarai says, yeah, actually Abraham is my husband. What? Get out of here. Out you go. So Pharaoh rebukes Abraham and deports him. Leave. And then Abraham is back again. On the way to the Negev. Now, it's interesting how when the famine came, Abraham, after he called upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 12, 9, he's now, him and his wife are on the way to Negev. And then a famine comes, they leave their journey to the Negev, they come to Egypt where all this craziness happens. God didn't send them there. They decided to come to Egypt. And then after all this debacle and God now supernaturally removes Sarai from Pharaoh's harem, gives him back to Abraham. Abraham is deported. Again, now we find all in chapter 13, verse 1, they are on their way back where? To the Negev. They were going to go where God wanted them to go. What an interesting story. So, like I said, I have three points. That was just introduction. Oh, boy. We'll be here a long time. Just kidding. Three points that say the same thing. Three points that say the same thing. Number one, obstacles will not derail God's plan and purposes. Obstacles will not derail God's plan or God's purposes. So what are some of the obstacles here? So obviously God has this plan to make Abraham this great nation and things like that. Obstacles. Sarah was barren. We see this in chapter 11 verse 30. Sarah barren. No kids. She's now old. She's way past childbearing days. So that is a big obstacle. She's barren. Not only that, God now calls this man with a barren wife and promises to make him a great nation. God, what are you thinking? And then chapter 12, verse 10, a famine now. Abraham is now in this promised land, and a famine comes, a severe famine, which, again, danger, it jeopardizes this promise. And so Abraham and Sarah decide, you know what, let's leave here. They don't consult God at all. There's a famine going on here, so should we stay here? Like, kind of God told us to come here, but should we stay? Maybe this was a wrong decision, maybe we got to go somewhere else to find water. So they leave. So this famine now begins to jeopardize 
this, this, this promise that God has. And so Abraham is so concerned as he's going to Egypt, but there are other challenges too that also provide other obstacles that now become risky for this covenant that God has. He's concerned for his well-being and he's also concerned about his life. If they kill me, how will God's plan work? So maybe Abraham is trying to kind of save himself, but kind of like keep this covenant thing alive. So let's figure out a way. Let's, let's lie a bit. Let's, let's create a scenario here that, that maybe we can be spared. He's not consulting God. Yeah, you and I do this a lot. When God leads us and opens doors and we celebrate and we come to church, I have a praise item and you tell your pastor, you tell your community group, that God has done these amazing things, and then a famine comes. You know, there were many people before COVID where they were praying and figuring out what we're going to do. We have to reinvent ourselves. We have to make things right, and practices. where you're going to start and everything. You're, you're trusting God and everything, and, 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 and God moves you to start a business, and then you put all your chips in. You mortgage your house again and you put all your life savings into this business thing and then COVID hits and everything shuts down. You're like, what? I have a family in our church who this is their reality. They put everything in it and COVID hit and they're staring at nothing because it is all gone. All of it, gone. What do you do? What do you do? We prayed faithfully. We sought counsel from wise people. We came to God. We felt that God was leading us this way. And we went. And then the famine, a severe one came. And everything is gone. I have a friend who... Uh, a dear brother whom I love was very close, the pastor. And so he was looking for, an, he, he stepped away, he was discerning where God was going to lead them, and he found a place where uh, God was leading them, a different church. He was very excited. We had prayed and prayed, and then his wife got cancer during the discernment process. And then, uh, but he said, you know what, I will trust the Lord for my wife's health, but I also trust the Lord to lead us and guide us. And so the Lord kind of like makes it possible for him to be the last man standing in this discernment process. And on a Tuesday, the church voted for him to be their next lead pastor. He was excited. I was excited for him. I thought, man, this is going to be great. He was just pastoring a church in the same city I pastor. So it's going to be awesome. My buddy and I, we are pastoring two different churches. It's going to be great, right? Yeah, on Friday. So Tuesday, the church votes. On Friday, his wife dies. I was at the hospital. Lord, now what? Now what? Are you, how am I going to do this? So many people came to him and said, you know what, maybe the Lord was not calling you to this church anyway. It would be wrong for you to take this position. Your wife is just dead. Now how are you going to do this? How are you going to pastor while you're mourning the, the love of your life dead, young, This man was my age when his wife died. My age. I'm young. So what now? Talk about severe famine. Circumstances that are beyond your control. There's a buddy of mine who also loved the Lord. He was a young adult, loved the Lord, was passionate for Christ, passionate for Christ. And then something happened, and then he just went off the rails. And he just began partying and doing just silly things. And then he met this wonderful girl. Not a Christian, though, but wonderful girl. And then got married to this wonderful girl, but she ain't Christian. And then God providentially open this young man's eyes to recognize, you know what, I've been rebelling against God. He has now two kids. My kids need to know God because kids are now asking those critical questions when you're putting them to sleep. Mommy, if my dog dies, will he go to heaven? All of a sudden, that's an interesting question. 
It's a theological question. They want theological conversations at 8 p.m. You're like, honey, sleep. <laughs> but is this theological conversation? So, so this guy was now putting his kids to bed, and the kids are asking these questions. So he begins, and he knew theology, and he had veered off. So he begins to teach his kids while he's putting his kids to bed, and then he realizes, I need to bring these kids to church. But now his wife is like, uh, no, no, now what? So now he realizes, oh, how far I have wandered. Yes, she's a remarkable girl, but she doesn't share the same convictions. Should I have done this? But I can't divorce her now because God has divorced, because I know what the scriptures teach. And so he phones me in tears, Ezra, I don't know what to do. The more I try to talk to her about faith, the harder she gets. What do I do? And she does not want our kids to grow in the faith at all. She wants our kids to be old enough to decide for themselves. But for me to teach my kids the Bible or to bring them to church is a big fat no. What do I do here, Ezra? Oh dear, he is in the moment right now as I speak. This is his reality right now. Wondering, is God really going to change this? Because she's so hard to the gospel. Is God going to change this? See, my point here is this. Is there an obstacle? Is there a situation that can derail God's plan? You see, the, the situation could be messy, messy in our own making. And we begin to wallow in this hopelessness as probably Abraham was. But the question is, is there an obstacle that can derail God's plan? Persecution will not do it through the centuries. There have been many, like we prayed for Nepal at the beginning of the service. Through the centuries, there was significant persecution that came to the church. In other parts of the world, persecution continues to come. But will it derail God's plan? Even here in Canada, if we are explicit with the gospel about what we believe about human sexuality and gender and homosexuality and abortion and a medical assistance in that, if we are clear about what this book teaches, make no mistake. If you own a business, it will be shut down. If you're hired by a public or a government organization, you'll be fired. If you're clear lovingly, persuasively, gently, but clear, you'll be fired. You and I know this well. That's why we are kind of gun-shy about sharing our faith publicly, right? Yeah, but even with persecution, do you think that the gospel of Christ will be handcuffed and the church will be muzzled and the gospel will not move forward and God's plans will be derailed for Canada? <laughs> Good luck, no way. Even natural disasters will not derail God's plan and purposes. Our own sin and our own rebellion will not derail God's plan and purposes. Abraham doubted God, did not pursue God, ask God questions. Hey, Lord, should I, what, what, what's with this um, famine? No, he decided to, to solve this issue on his own and goes to Egypt and he finds himself in a situation, in a bind basically, uh, yeah, but God had an agenda and a plan, didn't he? Even our own rebellion will not derail God's plan for us. See, our rebellion and sin will just make things a little awkward and hard for us. Because Pharaoh comes and he rebukes Abraham. And the thing that Abraham was trying to cover, yeah, it came to light. And now Abraham faced his biggest fear. Now Pharaoh has discovered that Sarah is my wife. I am a dead man. No, you're not. Why? Because God still had a plan and a purpose. God removed Sarah from Pharaoh's house. Point being, obstacles will not derail God's plans. I don't know what obstacle is in your life. But God's plan and purpose for your life will come to fruition. Make no mistake. Second point, which is said differently. Same point, differently. Man does what he wants. Man does what he wants, but God gets what he wants. Man does what he wants, but God gets what he wants. So, Abraham comes up with his ruse and gets Sarah to play along, and the Egyptians come. So again, Abraham did what he wanted. He comes up with his ruse. Tells Sarah, hey, hon, you know, this is what we're going to do. Sarah's like, okay, I guess we'll do that. 
The Egyptians see Sarah and they begin to praise her beauty. Tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh takes her. He decides to do what he wanted. So Abram does what he wants. Sarah plays along with it. The Egyptians do what they want. Sarah, um, uh, Pharaoh decides to take um, Pharaoh decides to take Sarah into his harem. So Pharaoh has done whatever he wants to do. And then Pharaoh gives Abraham gifts. Abraham kind of nervously takes those gifts. So Abraham has done all he wants. But now he's stuck. He's in a bind. Man does what he wants. But God gets what he wants. What did God want? The covenant to stand. I will make you into a great nation. That's my plan. Yeah, you can make whatever decisions you want. You put yourself in all sorts of messy binds, but I will make you into a great nation. So Abraham's decisions, Abraham's bonehead moves, his rebellion, his doubt, all of it, did not come against what God wanted. Man did what he wanted, but God got, God got what he wanted. Man does what he wants, and then God gets, obviously, what he wanted. Verse, verse 10, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 9 they're on their way to the Negev, and then verse 10, this famine comes. Chapter 13, verse 1, they're back to the Negev. God gets what he wanted. He wanted Abraham and Sarah in the promised land. They veer off. Okay, we're just going to meander a little bit. It's going to be awkward and everything. Yeah, but I will still bring you back here. Yeah, you shouldn't have gone here, but you decided. Fine, but we'll still get you back here. We will still get you there. Remember Jonah? Jonah's story. Oh, Jonah, go and tell these people of Nineveh. Go tell them to repent. Go tell them. Oh, but Lord, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And so Jonah decides to go a different way and run away from God. Yeah. The storm comes. The sailors are wondering, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? And then they find out it is Jonah who's the reason why there's a big storm. Yeah, let's throw this guy off the boat. Because again, remember, in the early days, yeah, if things are going haywire, the gods are angry. Why are they angry? Let's fix whatever it is that has made the gods angry. Yeah, it was Jonah. Throw him over. Yeah, but God wanted the people in Nineveh to hear that they're wicked. Yeah, so God brings a big whale, and it swallows Jonah whole. Now, I want you to imagine, Jonah was in the whale for three days. He didn't know it would be three days. But the whale comes and swallows him alive. Now he is in the, the belly of this whale for three days. He didn't know it was three days. Question. Can you imagine what was going on in his head when he's in the belly of the whale? What is going on? Yes, this God who said, let there be light, and there was light. Let the moon, the stars, everything. Got what he wanted there. God always gets what he wants. And our being disobedient, yeah, sometimes it means that we'll eat crow sometimes. When we do silly things, when we are disobedient, when we run and pursue our own things. Yeah, sometimes you and I will have to eat crow. But God always gets what he wants. God has a plan and a purpose. And sometimes this plan and purpose takes years. Might even take decades. But at the end of the day, God will get what he wants. Yeah, we will do what we want, but God always gets what he wants. So there are no obstacles. There is no roadblocks. People in this community, in this country, will never stop the advance of the gospel ever. Good luck. You may kill us. Cause us to lose our jobs. Make life difficult for us. Take away our charity status. Yeah, do all of it. You will never stop the advance of the gospel ever. Why? Because God gets what he wants. Period. 
There are people in this nation who need to hear the gospel. People in this nation who belong to the fold who are not yet there. God will win them all. Every single one of them. God always gets what he wants, regardless of what man does. Finally, no circumstance is beyond God's omnipotence. No circumstance is beyond God's omnipotence. And by the word omnipotent, I mean his unlimited, undisputed, absolute supreme power. No circumstance is beyond God's omnipotence. See, our doubt and then our desire to resolve this doubt and this situation, yeah, it puts us in all sorts of crazy places. And we get stranded and stuck, but no circumstance is beyond the power of this God. His uh, uh, unlimited, undisputed, absolute supreme power, his omnipotence. Abraham is in a tight spot. The ruse has backfired. Now I want you to imagine you're in the moment with Abraham now. Sarah's just been taken. This is night one. She's gone. Night one. You're in Egypt. You have all these cows and all these goats and all these camels. They are with you. But Sarah is gone. And now you're asleep in your tent wondering, but God made a promise. <sighs> How will this go? What if the, 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 the famine comes to an end and the rains come? Now what? Should, will I leave Sarah here? How can I leave Sarah here? What am I going to tell God? When he asked, dude, where is Sarah? Uh, uh, she, uh, um, 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 what? Um, you know, and you begin to look at your shoes. See, Sarah is now in Pharaoh's harem, one of Sarah's, one of uh, Pharaoh's wives. Abraham has just accepted all this wealth. Abraham in the moment wondering, now what? You see, it is possible that you are probably in the same situation right now. I'll give you a few examples. Maybe you have a child who has gone wayward and in your as you think back to your son or daughter who's not going to be around the table on Mother's Day, not going to be around the table on Father's Day, doesn't show up at all, and you begin to wonder, did I parent well? If only I could get a redo. If I could only. And you beat yourself because you, know, you didn't read the Bible as often as you should have. You didn't talk about Christ as often as you would have. You made massive errors in your parenting. And now you're in a rock and a hard place where you're seeing your son, daughter making decisions that are breaking your heart big time. I spoke to one parent who this was their reality. Their son was busted selling drugs in the United States and was put behind bars 25 years. It's about 10 years ago. And when I talked to the mom or the dad, my goodness, the heartbreak and the sadness is there. There are some who, because of choices made, their marriages have tanked. Or maybe your marriage is in the brink of tanking. And you're wondering, your spouse is so angry and so hurt and so bitter, and you're not even in sleeping in the same room. And nobody knows yet, but it's about to go public because divorce papers are just around the corner. They're looking for a lawyer. And you're like, if everybody knows what's going on, my goodness, what will the kids think? What will our families think? What will the neighbors think? What will our colleagues think? What will... And it's a messy, messy, messy situation. A tough situation. And you're wondering, oh dear. My question to you is, is there a knot that is too tight that God cannot untie? Is they are not too tight that God cannot untie. Look at all these obstacles in the book of Genesis. 
Look at this ruse of Abraham that has just backfired. Yeah, bonehead decision, Abraham. Placing God's promises in jeopardy. Is there a puzzle that is too hard for God to solve? A situation too messy that God can't clean up? A bind too complex that God cannot resolve? Is there a conundrum that is too tricky for God to decode? Is there? Is there? See, God has no kryptonite. God is not like Superman. Superman has an Achilles heel. God has no kryptonite. Nothing can get in his way preventing him from saving the day. Nothing. No circumstance, no situation, no knot is too tight, no situation too messy, no bind too complex, no conundrum too tricky. None for this God. So what situation are you in? Where you're thinking, is God gonna? Is he, is, he, is he going to? Even when you think about salvation, I'm about to end here. There is this guy who I had uh, coffee with this week. I usually meet with about 25 young adults from my church, young men between 20 and 25. And I've just decided I'll pour my whole life into this young man to train them to become godly men in our community because Canada needs many, many godly men. And I challenge many women in our church as well who are godly women, gather around you as many women as you possibly can and pour yourself into them. So as I gather with these young men, I've given them my phone number and I say, you know what, I'm a busy guy, but if you call me because you're in a situation and you want to meet this evening, I will make time. We will have coffee. We will talk about your stuff. So this guy called me. So we go out for coffee. So we are seated there, and then he tells me about his issues, and then he tells me about how there's this young man who he works with, and this young man is totally lost, totally lost. There's no way this young man will ever come to Jesus. And he just said, laughing, oh, really? There's no way that this young man will come to Jesus. Yeah, Ezra, he swears, smoking, drinking, sleeping around, you name it, he does it unashamedly, unreservedly. He is gone. It's one of these people you look at and say, there's no way this man will get saved. No way. No way. Really. Well, there's a band. There's a band that plays a music genre called new metal. Now, some of you will know this band. It's called Korn. Some of you who have just chuckled, they know corn, and then you're surprised. Oh, Pastor Ezra actually talked about corn in the sermon. Their music is noise. <laughs> oh my. You go to their concert, it is headbanger, loud, and they look like demons. Oh my word. And the crowd that comes to watch them, they're just equally as high and as crazy. This band, oh my. Oh my word. Like you wonder, are you human beings really? Like, wow. So one of their lead band members, his name is Brian Welsh. So Brian, he was into it, and every time he'd be sitting in his hotel flipping, and you'd see a Christian channel, he'd laugh. All these Christians are idiots. And he moves on. And so he wanted to get into business, because he's making millions. And so his God was his music and money. And so he wants to make all this money, and so he wants to get into an investment. So he decides to get into this investment venture and he had other partners. Little did he know that these partners are Christian. So they go, they buy a piece of property and they want to invest in it and everything. They're talking about the deals. So the deal went down really good. And then one of his partners say, you know what? We go to this particular church. Why don't you come? A small church, a traditional old looking church. Nothing fancy, but we go to church. So Brian chuckled. So they say, hey, why don't you come to church with us? Brian just laughed. Yeah, I'm in church. Are you kidding? But then Brian said, you know what? Let me amuse this guy. Let me show up. Let me show up the way I look when I'm playing. So he has all this makeup and this hair and everything, the rings, the tattoos, the whole thing. He shows up at church. Now he walks in. Now this is a guy who, when he walks in, you know. There's a dude in church today. 
And he sits at the back and everybody's uncomfortable and he's smelling smoke because he's been smoking pot and with everything. So he sits at the back and he's half high and the pastor comes, he says hi to this guy and he just looks weird. There's a big stain there, like wow, sin. And so the pastor just preaches, nothing fancy, just an ordinary message, nothing spectacular. And as the pastor is preaching, (laughs) you know the God who says, let there be light? He kind of looked at Brian and said, let there be light there, buddy. And something struck Brian. An ordinary sermon. Nothing flamboyant like me. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing loud. (laughs) Nothing loud. Just a simple sermon. Brian walks up. The moment the, the sermon finished, he walks out. Drives himself to the hotel. That entire Sunday, into the night, into Monday, Brian spent the whole time praying, repenting. He had had an encounter with the one who said, let there be light. To this day, Brian is a Christian. Yeah, he still looks weird. You can Google him. (laughs) He still looks weird, but this man is now a follower of Jesus Christ. Is there a situation too hard for God? A knot too tight? A child too wayward? A marriage too messy? A business too sideways? A conundrum that is too tricky for God? There isn't. So to summarize, there is no obstacle that can derail God's plan. There is no man will do whatever he wants. But God always gets what he wants. No situation is beyond God's omnipotent control. Abraham made decisions. Yeah. Abraham doubted God. Mm-hmm. But who are we talking about here? We're talking about God. No obstacle can derail his plans. Man will do whatever he wants, but God will always get what he wants. No situation is beyond God's omnipotent power. No situation whatsoever. And so this morning, we'll approach the Lord's table. And as we approach the Lord's table this morning, to partake the communion elements here, may we be reminded that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While you and I were busy rebelling, while you and I were busy rebelling, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because Christ died for us, the scriptures also say in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So you may think you have put yourself in a bind. You've put yourself in a difficult circumstance. You've made a choice that is silly and you've put your marriage in jeopardy, your business, your finances, whatever. Or unforeseen circumstances, cancer, relational turmoil, COVID has left so many issues in your life. And you may think, is God really gonna, who are we talking about here? Who are we talking about? Are we talking about Joe down the street? Are we talking about God, creator of heaven and earth? Are we talking about God? There is no obstacle that can derail his plan. We can do whatever we want, but God always gets what he wants, and there's no situation beyond his omnipotence. As we take communion, may we be reminded of this God and what he did. 